half an hour, something the World Health Organization is now recognizing as a disorder. Topping our stories tonight, the World Health Organization today has listed and defined gaming addiction as a condition warranting further research, citing an increase in the development of treatment programs across the world. More information will be given on the move by the World Health Organization comes amid increasing evidence of young players suffering psychological distress and family breakdown as a result of their addiction. Playing video games, and you want to stop and don't know how. And you want to stop and don't know. Demographics tend to be about 90% male, tend to be kind of 18 to 32, more college-aged young adults who, you know, maybe developed a problem in high school, but they were able to get away with it. Now, once they get to college and have less parent supervision and more responsibilities, more stress, they game to escape. So we're going to spend some time discussing uh, gaming addiction, defined by the World Health Organization as a pattern of behavior characterized by impaired control over gaming, in which increasing priority is given to gaming over other activities to the extent that gaming takes precedence over other interests and other daily activities. And there is a continuation or escalation of gaming despite the occurrence of negative consequences. If you've experienced this in your household, I'd love to know how you approached it and whether it's you, you were the gamer and you had to back off your console a little bit, or whether you were a family member who had to try and stage an intervention. You can text us tonight on 85058, tweet us at BBC5Live. I'll speak to Cam Adair, first of all. At um, the height of his addiction, Cam was playing video games for up to 16 hours a day. Hi, Cam. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks so much for having me. How long did that period last for? It was a couple of years and... 16 hours a day for two years? Yeah, and I was pretending to have jobs and deceiving my family and you know, eventually I wrote a suicide note. That's where I realized I needed to make a change. Can you explain how the addiction grabbed hold of you? Was it a slow, gradual process? It came and, and went at different periods of my life, but I was bullied really intensely during the eighth grade and that caused me to want to escape. And gaming was a really effective way to do that. So when I dropped out of high school and now had all this time on my hands, that's where you know gaming began, began to become a bigger, bigger problem in my life. When it got to the stage that you were writing a suicide note, what, what, were you, what did you put in that? What were your feelings at that point? The one thing I can remember writing was uh, to my dad that I knew that gaming was something that really bothered him and he really didn't like a lot and I didn't want him to blame gaming or, or to kind of see it as a, as a bad thing and, and more it was something that was helping me at the time and that's what I can remember writing you know just this these notes to family and friends letting them know that you know I cared for them and I was sorry and that I was going to be in a better place no longer in so much pain but thankfully that night a friend invited me to go see a movie and during that movie, I was laughing and smiling and having a great time, and that kind of shook me out of my state. So I came home and asked my dad to help me find a counselor, and he, of course, said yes, and, and that helped me turn my life around. So you now set up Game Quitters, haven't you, which is an online support network helping thousands of people in over 90 countries to, to tackle this. How do you go about providing support to others? What's the first step? The biggest thing is helping them no longer feel alone, because when we realize that we're not alone, we are able to connect with a lot of other people and, and find strategies and support and, and be able to take those positive steps forward. We have a lot of encouragement. So, you know, one of the first things that they need to know how to do is to how, how do you find new activities? How do you 
structure your time how do you deal with cravings and urges to play and withdrawal symptoms and how do you make new friends and so on gamequitters.com we have 200 different videos for free we have programs step by step exactly how to quit for not only gamers but also parents as well and now i travel all over the world speaking about the subject and i'm coming to the uk actually in march for for a big tour were you addicted to one particular game or were you completing so many games that you were just going through them I was more of a competitive player, so I played StarCraft, Counter-Strike 1.6, and World of Warcraft, and World of Warcraft was definitely a game I played where that, you know, was during the, the most severe period of my life where it was a negative thing, and that kind of grabbed a hold of me because you could play World of Warcraft for 16 hours and, you know, not even really make that much progress, and you always had something else to do, and it was almost like a second life. I actually identified with my character and kind of felt like I knew my character better in, in the online world than I really knew myself in the real world. And the real world for me was a source of immense pain, whereas online I was someone I was able to, to see achievement and, and have other friends and, and really feel good about myself. And so World of Warcraft was definitely a game where it was a big problem for me. When you're playing for 16 hours a day, do you even find time for the basics? I mean, did you go to the bathroom at all? Did you eat? Eating was definitely less of a priority for me, I've never been someone who, you know, had really poor hygiene to the sense that I wouldn't shower or go to the bathroom, although we definitely hear a lot of cases like that, and, and there are a lot of gaming addicts who do struggle with that, but my weight was really low. I remember coming home for summer one year, and my mom looked at me horrified because I had been, she didn't know, but I had been gaming and, and skipping class and not eating, and she looked at me, and I had lost a bunch of weight, and I was very pale, and you know, that was a big problem. So for me, it was, I was still showering and, and doing those basics, but that was it. And outside of eating, you know, getting through basics, I wasn't doing anything else. Alongside Cam is John Logan, because Cam's talking to us live from Thailand tonight. And John Logan is head counselor at the Cabin, which is a residential treatment center in Northern Thailand. And um, what kind of programs do you run there, John? Well, we, we treat addiction in general, but we ha also have a specific gaming program mm. and that we recently introduced in, in response to the demand. And how long does that last? It lasts 90 days. Um, we can actually do it in a shorter time, but 90 days is ideal. Because? It takes that long to actually... Uh, it, there's two parts of the program. The first is we do a digital detox. That takes about 45 days. And that involves uh, clients not having any access to computers, smartphones, or, or anything of that nature. And the only thing they can do is to contact their family through a landline. I'm After sorry, just on that, days, how did you arrive at yeah. 45 days? Did you Was it shorter and you found it wasn't working? Was there scientific evidence that said that's the optimum number of days? How did you get there? Well, there's scientific evidence uh, regarding addiction in general. Um, you know, the, the definition that you read out earlier on from the World Health Organization could be actually applied to any addiction if we just change the word gaming to a substance or to another kind of process addiction. Right. So it, it normally takes about 28 days to stabilize an addiction, uh, and it can take anything up to 90 days. But we, we came uh, on the number of 45 uh, just through experience, actually. We found that it takes that long, actually, for people to get used to not having a smartphone and not having access to a computer and being away from games. Um, it also involves them being involved in physical activity and having connection with their peers, developing a sense of meaning and purpose. So after about 45 days, um, one of the problems with gaming is we, we game on computers, obviously, and like other sorts of process addictions, 
Um, in the modern world, you must be able to use a computer in order to function. So the second 45 days, the second half of the program uh, is basically about reintroducing people into having a healthy relationship with technology. And we do that through what we call mindful and purposeful computer use. Yeah, go on, elaborate a bit more on, on mindful computer use then. How, how do you... And, well, and also, sorry, just what, before yeah. you answer that, the other thing that I'm really interested in is, because you've said that you could substitute other addictions for gaming, but uh, arguably with substance addiction, most people who go through that don't return to those substances, do they? They, they stay off them. But you're saying that you can go back in, into digital use. Well, that's not true, unfortunately. Uh, addiction is a, de- a disease of cycles of relapse and remission. Um, people who are addicted to substances uh, regularly relapse. In fact, the relapse rate is higher than the, the recovery rate. And right, the same but, but, but you wouldn't encourage them. To, that, that, that relapse is, is them falling off, if you like, isn't it? Falling off a wagon. It's not. You, yes. wouldn't, you wouldn't pursue a course of, you know, a course for alcoholism and then reintroduce alcohol to that addict, would you? No, the difference is, and uh, there are certain process addictions, as I say, sex and love addiction would be one of them, um, uh, eating disorders would be another, where, I mean, obviously you have to eat, and, and most of us have to have sex. Um, so, in common with that, gaming is the same kind of process addiction. Clients need to be able to use computers in order to function, either as students or in any kind of work environment. What we do encourage is that they don't, for a period of at least one year, that they don't use smartphones, that they would go back to an old-fashioned brick phone. Uh, well, let's bring in a student uh, on that. Matas Mikas joins us, who is undergraduate, dividing his time between Glasgow and his native Slovakia. And how bad was it for you, Matas, in your teens? How long were you gaming? Um, I would usually come back from school at like 2 or 3 in the afternoon and then if I didn't have any sports I would just play until I go to bed at like 10-ish, so around 6-7 hours in my teens. And when did you, was there a light bulb moment for you where you thought, hang on, this is getting out of hand? It was kind of gradual. Uh, when I moved to university I realized this is not going to work anymore, but it wasn't until I broke up with my girlfriend because of gaming and power, which I realized, like, okay, I need to work on this, I need to change something in my life. And how did you discover support to help you do that? Um, I just Googled, like, stop gaming, how to stop gaming, and I found out the website Reddit, it had a subreddit for stop gaming, and I think there I discovered game quitters and cams work. And what would you say the, the key was now, if you were going to give advice to somebody else who might what, be in that position? I want to repeat what Cam said before, the community aspect was very, very important for me. Just finding new friends, finding new hobbies. Because one of the reasons I was gaming so much is because I was feeling lonely and without friends in a new country. And once I made those friends, you know, those feelings would go away and I would, you know, don't feel the urges to play games as much anymore. So really finding the community, finding friends, which you can do stuff, not on the computer, but actually in the real life, that was the key thing for me. See, interestingly, John Logan, that's a common thread, isn't it, with Matush and Cam, that they both were finding solace from an online world. Absolutely, and in common with all addictions, all addicts find solace in whatever it is they're actually doing. It's an escape. Usually underlying an addiction, there are other mental health issues. Mm. Giovanna joins us next, um, lives here in the UK, originally from South Africa. And it's, um, it's your son, Giovanna, that um, we're going to talk about, isn't it? Your 28-year-old. Who's, how long has, has he struggled with gaming addiction for? 
Good evening. <clears throat> Good evening, Phil. Um, he's sim very, very similar to um, Cam Adair. He started from six years old with TV games. He's now 28, nearly 29. And um, yes, it's been from TV games to uh, computer games, video games, computer games, all sorts. And he still is struggling every day. And is it true that you're so concerned you, you moved here to assist him? Um, not exactly. It was he had. I had actually asked him to move to the UK to get out of the the environment that he was in in South Africa, just to start a new life. He came to the UK first, and six months later, I came over. He was doing very well here in the UK, and um, it was when his brother had actually moved over about six months after I had moved over that things went downhill again and um, he sort of got addicted all over again sort of playing that both of them started playing computers uh, or gaming and um, his younger brother um, Andrea he went he got himself a job and got onto his feet and uh, started working but um, Marco the older one he um, he didn't. He uh, he just he went downhill. He just carried on playing computers, and he lost his job. He was kicked out of his flats. Um, it's eventually I, because I lived in Oxford at that time. I drove through from Oxford one night very late through to London, and came to talk to him to tell him, you know, we can't carry on like this because we have been in this situation before. But that was four years ago. And it's been, like Cam says, it's been, um, he's, he's come and gone out of the same, it's, it's sort of been like a routine, uh, not a routine, a, he's out of it, then he's in, a, he's in again, and then he's out of it, and then he's in again, and he loses his jobs, and he uh, plays, he also was playing 16 hours a day, every day. Um, um, same story, he did do the showering and everything, but um, he never ate, he was losing so much weight, he, he, he looked sick, um, he lost all his friends, he, he didn't want to go out, he didn't want to, um, he didn't want to socialize, he just wanted to play games, and at one point I offered him a job to come work for me in Oxford, which he did do, and he worked there for a year, but in, even in that year, I had to ask him to leave because he was, every morning he, he came to work late because he was gaming through the night and he couldn't get up early enough to come to work. Can I put to you a, a text message that we've had whilst, from a listener whilst you've been talking to us, Giovanna, and just get a reaction. Um, James, um, it's actually a tweet, sorry, not a text. James says, I feel this is not something that parents can complain about. They are the ones who let their kids play these games for hours on end as an easy childcare method. It only becomes an addiction whenever they can't stop it, not whenever they have something else to do. What, what's your view on that? Well, as I said before as well, I, I've spoken about when uh, when my son uh, played computer games and um, you know you'd see him he would he'd enjoy, I'm talking now when he was much younger he'd enjoy himself and he'd have friends around and um, but when I did not actually know it was an addiction the only time that I really knew it was an addiction I um, when okay so my, my story is quite long but I mean I sent him back to South Africa after he came to work for me in Oxford um, just to so, sort of reconnect with his friends, um, reconnect with the country, um, get some sun. You know, I just thought 
he would um, sort of, I don't know, change, but it didn't happen. It, he fell in the same routine and came back again. And when he came back to, uh, back to the UK again, that's when I really started Googling to find out, is this a problem? You know, is it actually a problem? Is gaming a problem or um, is there other people out there? And that's when I came across, um, well, I came across a few uh, places, but Cam Adair's story stood out. Then I realized my son is addicted. I didn't, I didn't realize you can get addicted to games. I mean, really, I thought my son was just an, an, a naughty child and he, you know, he did things um, his way and he became also very aggressive at times. And I really did not know this was an addiction until I came across Cam's story. And he's, except for the, the uh, suicide notes, his story is so similar to my son's. And there were times that I felt that my son was in a, in a place where he could commit suicide, where I got my other son involved and I asked him to please make sure that he's not doing certain things or he's not, um, he's in a dark place, just make sh talk to him all the time. And Let me bring Robert Teague in, Giovanna, because Robert's a headmaster of the Cedar School, which is a boys' school in Croydon. And I know your school has invited Cam to, to give a talk, haven't you, to, to your pupils. But just pick up on, on some of the things that, that Giovanna was talking about and the concerns that you have as a head teacher and how you advise parents to, to limit game time for your students. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I think parents are absolutely key. And um, certainly, I, I think clear boundaries are very important. So we do encourage parents to, to, um, to put those in place. Um, not to allow any kind of binge gaming. Um, I think the whole area of self-control is also important. Um, that's not something that can happen overnight, um, but it's a question really of teaching um, uh, young people to, to, to control the technology so it doesn't control them. And I think also, um, and one of your um, uh, guests mentioned this earlier, but the, the importance of providing positive alternatives, um, whether sport, music, or other outdoor activities, and, and preferably with some degree of social interaction. Um, and I think, um, rather counterintuitively, I think it's important to create opportunities for young people to add value to the lives of others. Um, I suppose what you might call a spirit of service. Um, and that can be a very effective bullock against um, some of these things and, and give them a sense of, of meaning and purpose. Um, and I suppose certainly with our parents, um, we, we, I think it's very important that they're aware quite how addictive these games can be. Mm. Um, that, you know, they're designed to, to make people want to keep playing them. And, yeah, of course. And that's, yeah. But let me, let me ask you this. See, I remember when um, of the generation of, of the Spectrums and the Commodores and all those, mm. right? And I remember that on school holidays, if we'd been in our, I say we, me and my brother, if we'd been in our bedroom too long playing games, mum would come up and tell us to stop playing, right? Um, but that's easier to do in the summer when you've got other things, you know, that are attractive. But in the in now, you know, it's dark by us at half three today. It's been throwing down all day. You don't want to go out. Yeah. Uh, no, it is a challenge. Um, and I think children go out far less than they used to um, when we were young. Um but, but I think that uh, though it's a challenge, it's not, uh, it's not insuperable. And um, uh, I, I think that those boundaries are the first thing. Uh, there may be some difficult battles to fight, um, but, but, but maintaining those boundaries is absolutely essential. And then when they're in place, young people will find other things to do.
How difficult is it for you and your staff to limit access to smartphones and, and screens during school time? Uh, well, well, the rule that we have, uh, which works very well, we, we actually tried a few things, but we've settled on something which we're very happy with. Um, so we have a rule that um, we're a boys' school. The boys can bring a phone to school, keep it in their blazer pocket, switched off, as long as it's a brick. Now, um, our parents are very happy with this because when, when our 11-year-olds join the school, uh, we've already had an induction session with parents, and so they know that the other boys are going to have bricks. And so when it comes to that peer pressure moment and children are saying, oh, you know, you must buy me a smartphone because every, everybody will laugh at me because everybody else will have a smartphone, they know that isn't the case. And um, now some of our boys, I'm sure, do have smartphones, um, but we don't tend to see them at school. And uh, many of them own bricks and don't own smartphones until they're older, which I think personally is a very good idea. Uh, Cameron, let's get a closing thought from you. I know you're going to go to to Robert's school, aren't you, and talk to the students. What do you think we need to be doing as a society to, A, support people who are already addicted, but to actually prevent the addiction in the first place? Improving the conversation around this topic is, is essential. And so prevention, having talks, having more information, parents having education around the subject is very important. I also believe that when it comes to parents on one hand yes parents need to be empowered to set better restrictions and and limit access and find alternative activities you know for decades before technology was around families managed to get through the london winter no problem and so i think just remembering that is important but at the same time we we have to be very cautious of, of blaming and shaming parents for being in this situation these are very challenging experiences that they're having and in many cases most gaming addicts are 18 to 24, 25 years old. So it actually happens when parents are no longer around, when they don't have supervision any longer. So just being very mindful of not blaming parents for this situation and holding tech companies accountable because tech companies are ultimately the ones who are designing these games to be as engaging as possible and integrating you know, certain gambling-like game design like loot boxes and in-app purchases that are targeted towards kids very young. And we need to be able to build more awareness around this, something I'm very passionate about doing, speaking it, you know, across the UK and across the world, but at the same time, you know, just empowering people to, to know that this is a real addiction, this is a real problem, and, and there is help available, whether it's on GameQuarters.com or centres like The Cabin in, in Thailand, mm. there is help available. GameQuarters.com is Cam's site, Cam Adair, who now uh, offers... Uh, an online support network to gaming addicts and Cam come and speak to us on Five Live when you're in the UK yeah, when you go to vi visit Robert's school um, come and see us and we'll, we'll have a further chat about this that's Cam Adair who at the height of his addiction was playing for up to 15 hours a day thanks to John Logan head counsellor at the cabin which is a residential treatment centre in Thailand to Matish Tikus who's a student who became addicted to gaming in his teens uh, Giovanna who is still concerned about her son and his gaming and Robert Teague, headmaster of the Cedars School, which is an all boys school in Croydon, eleven thirty-three. On digital, BBC Sounds, Smart Speaker, and online. This is BBC Radio Five Live.